Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is She's Got Lime in the Coconut, an interview with Ryan McIntyre. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Ryan McIntyre. Ryan McIntyre is a 24-year-old woman from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. She is also the creative force behind the Lyme Disease Awareness and Advocacy Instagram, Lyme in the Coconut. Ms. McIntyre's Lyme disease journey began during her junior year in college while she was studying at the University of New Hampshire. In 2016, she began to feel sick and spent the summer of that year visiting some of the best healthcare facilities and hospitals in her home state of Massachusetts. Her doctors diagnosed her with hypoglycemia and authorized her to study abroad. Upon her flight landing in Australia, her Lyme disease symptoms caused her to crash. Eventually, she had to take a medical leave of absence from school and fly home to the U.S. She was treated by 21 doctors and misdiagnosed with various physical and mental illnesses before she was diagnosed with Lyme disease and several other co-infections, including Bartonella, Babesia, and Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. She has been treating with a Lyme literate doctor in New York for the past two years and has been making slow but steady progress. Hey, Ryan McIntyre. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. We're blessed to have you, Ryan. And we'd like you to begin by sharing with our listeners what your life was like before you began to suffer the symptoms of a tick disease. I um, was going to school at the University of New Hampshire. I was studying recreation management um, and event planning. So I had regular plans that a 21-year-old kid would have. I enjoyed going out. I loved traveling. Um, I had plans to study abroad. Um, I would travel to Hawaii frequently, and I loved surfing, just being social and active. So Ryan, you appear to have been a really good athlete in high school. Uh, Was that something that you continued to participate in while you were in college? Yeah, so I um, I just did field hockey. I went to U Tampa and I was on their field hockey team there, but then I ended up transferring to UNH. Um, I didn't play field hockey there, but I still enjoyed playing it um, with my friends and with my teammates from home, just overall staying active. So while you were in college and you were studying your recreational management and event planning, what was your goal when you graduated from college? So um, because I was so interested in just the sports world and um, helping people in sports, I really wanted to work in the sports management realm. And I was not only interested in um, sports, but also traveling. So a job where I was able to travel and because I had such a strong interest in surfing, perhaps working in the surfing industry. Um, I love Hawaii. So moving to Hawaii and working at surfing competitions, different stuff like that really interested me. How did everything uh, sort of come to a halt for you? When did you first start uh, showing symptoms of what resulted in uh, a diagnosis of a tick disease? Yeah, so um, in the beginning, I was a junior at the University of New Hampshire, and I started to have cognitive issues, just trouble focusing in class. I had no energy to even just walk to class, and this was towards finals in the end of the year, so I didn't know if it was just stress from finals. Um, I had multiple tests done, and they said, oh, you're just stressed out, or you might need to eat differently, maybe exercise more. So I just listened to the doctors. Um, I saw a few doctors over the summer and um, actually at top hospitals in the world in Boston, and they all told me that I was fine. So I just went on to continue school, not really thinking twice about it, just kind of listening to them. Ryan, what were your thoughts as the summer progressed? Did you really believe that you were fine and it was just stress-related? Not really, because I, it started to really get worse um, in different ways, and my symptoms were always changing. So I knew that something was off. My family knew that something was off. And especially I was having a lot of blood sugar issues, low blood sugar mostly in the summer. And it was like multiple times a day. And so the doctor we were seeing thought, 
oh, you might be pre-diabetic. Oh, you probably just need to eat more throughout the day, like certain things like that. So we're like, okay, blood sugar might be related to diabetes, but he didn't express it as a major concern um, and didn't suggest anything else that it could be. So we kind of just went along with that theory and I was looking forward to studying abroad in the fall at like top of my bucket list place to go, Australia. So I was kind of in the back of my mind, I can't get sick, I have to go. So I was kind of just like dimming down the idea that I was feeling so bad so that I could go. You're not feeling well. You're seeing the best doctors mm -hmm. in the world in some instances. And you decide to move forward and go on to your fall semester of your senior year in college and study abroad. Can you walk us through that process? Yeah. So, and just before that, the doctor, we had expressed, like, is this okay that I just go to another country? Um, like, am I going to run into more issues? Is it a bad idea? And he said, no, no, you're good to go. Just bring the blood sugar monitor and test your sugar while you're there. And we'll reconnect when you get back. So that was kind of where we left it there. But so I got to Australia probably end of August. And just a few weeks after being there, I was surfing and I have been surfing my whole life. And I just couldn't surf. And that was really when I was like, okay, this is weird. Um, it was almost like my muscles just didn't remember how to surf. And I was like, obviously, in Australia, you want to do so many fun things. And I couldn't keep up with my friends. I couldn't go out. I couldn't adventure or hike or surf or anything. And that's when I really knew I wasn't feeling good. Um, I was losing a ton of weight. I was dealing with so many different symptoms. And I saw multiple doctors there. They didn't know how to help me. Um, they didn't even know what to suggest it was. They thought I was homesick. Um, one doctor even suggested that I was stressed because I didn't have insurance in that country. So I was stressed about money and getting tests done, which wasn't the case at all. So I ended up returning beginning of October um, to try and get further testing done and just figure out what it was that was going on. It really started with just being so fatigued, which obviously after that extremely long flight from Boston to Australia, I was just kind of like, okay, it's probably just the jet lag. But then it didn't really go away. It started with really bad headaches, extremely bad muscle and joint pain, like especially in my legs. Um, I was dealing with the blood sugar issues, the cognitive issues, such as like short-term memory loss. I was on campus one day and I just completely forgot where I was. And I was right in front of the classroom that had my class that I had been to before. And I couldn't tell anyone where I was when I called my friends. They had to come looking for me on the campus. And that's like really when I knew something was off on top of all the other symptoms as well. So not only did you have these cognitive issues, but you had no energy to get out of bed, numbness, mm -hmm. vision loss. And then eventually you made a decision with your doctors to come home and to figure out what your next steps would be, right? Yes, exactly. So now you come home in October. What do you do next now that you're back in the States? Yeah, so obviously I had to medically withdraw from my senior year at school. We came back and we had no, like, even direction that it could be Lyme disease because my thought of Lyme was just what a lot of people think is, oh, you get bit by a tick and then you take medicine and you're good and you get a rash. But obviously that's not the case. We came home and they thought it could be celiac disease. They thought it could be depression. They told me it was depression so many times. They said it could be chronic fatigue and doctors rolled their eyes at me and said I was completely fine. And it was very disheartening because I had just left my dream of studying in Australia to come home and I wouldn't have left and came home if I was completely fine, obviously. So 
Um, we just spent so much time trying to find someone who would just acknowledge the fact that I was clearly sick. Right. And how many doctors did you see in total? So I, in total, including the doctor I see now, saw 14 different doctors. And did these doctors misdiagnose you with anything before Lyme disease? They didn't properly diagnose me. They had suggested that it was depression, like I mentioned, ADHD. The doctor in Boston thought I was pre-diabetic. And then there was a lot of search into celiac disease for me. They thought that that was a high possibility. And then one other thing they thought that it could be is lupus. Do you think that the flight going to Australia and back had an impact on your immune system and further weakened your health? Yes, I definitely think because it really started to manifest when I got to Australia, I think the flight, but also the overall stress of going and moving to a new country that I've never been to. I didn't really go with a lot of friends because I wanted to go and meet people. So it was really just the overall new, exciting, but also kind of stressful um, experience. So I think all of it combined just really started to do a lot of changes in my body and manifest everything. Right. Out of all these doctors you saw, which one eventually diagnosed you with Lyme disease? So I saw a doctor at my primary care's office who actually was the one who rolled her eyes at me and said, couldn't be Lyme. You never had a bite. You never had a rash. The only reason we asked about Lyme is because someone suggested with all my symptoms, they thought it sounded like Lyme because they had had it. So finally, the doctor gave me the Western blot test and that came back super positive. So that and then after finally finding a good doctor about probably a year later, um, she did the thorough testing of all of the co-infections as well as the Lyme. Brian, what did you know about ticks and tick diseases prior to your Lyme diagnosis? To be honest, I didn't really know anything about it. I just, like I had mentioned before, knew that you got bit by a tick, you got flu-like symptoms, maybe, maybe not. Um, usually get a bullseye rash and the doctor puts you on medicine and you're good to go. I really didn't know that much about it. So the doctor that diagnosed you wasn't even your doctor at your primary care physician. It was another doctor in that office, right? Yes. And prior to that, they ran two ELISA tests, which are the, the precursor to a Western blot. And if you have a positive ELISA, then they go on to the Western blot. And both of those ELISA tests were negative, right? Yes. And now knowing what you know, I'm sure, we know the ELISA test is approximately 50% accurate. And really, they should have been doing a Western blot probably all along, right? Yes, definitely. So now that you have this diagnosis of Lyme disease from your primary care physician, what are your next steps? So um, I finally saw my actual primary care doctor at that office, and he just said to me, you know, I know that chronic Lyme is real. I know it's a big debate, but I don't have the tools to treat this late stage of chronic Lyme, so I need you to find someone who can, um, which was great of him to admit that he couldn't treat me fully. Um, he put me on doxycycline right away. And so not knowing a lot about Lyme, I was so happy to finally have the diagnosis, but I was just like, all right, well, I'm on medicine now, so that should help me. And we weren't in this crazy big rush to find a doctor, although we started looking right away. Um, we didn't really realize how important it was to find a doctor, like, and how important it was to even find out you had Lyme way sooner than I had found out. Do you recall the dosage of doxycycline that your primary care physician prescribed you? I don't remember the dosage, but I know that it was just one pill of doxycycline every day for about 21 days. 
One common thing we hear often is that there's a misconception about what dosage is really needed for Lyme. And some doctors will prescribe yeah. 100 milligrams or 150 milligrams, but really you need the 200 milligrams per day to effectively treat the Lyme disease. So we always like to see yeah. what our guests are prescribed. I believe it was 100. So now you move on and you're looking for this new doctor who can really help you, who's more familiar with chronic Lyme. Can you walk through that journey mm -hmm. for us? Yeah, so we had searched like all over Cape Cod, which I don't know if you know or not, but there's ticks everywhere on Cape Cod. I mean, there's ticks everywhere anyway, but Cape Cod has so many ticks and such little knowledge of Lyme. So we didn't have luck on Cape finding a doctor. Um, we went off Cape um, into Natick, Massachusetts, which is sort of near Boston, to find a doctor. And she seemed really knowledgeable. She was great at doing a very thorough test on everything in co-infections, but she ended up giving me a combination of antibiotics and shots that ultimately made me feel worse. And at some point in the summer, I be driving and forget where I was. I was at the mall one time that I've gone to my whole life and I came out and I couldn't remember where I was. I didn't know where my car was. And we had called her on our way to the hospital and she said, I just don't know how I can help you anymore. I've never dealt with a case this severe, and I just don't think I can help you. So you need to find someone else, which was very stressful because I was at my worst, feeling my worst, and we didn't know where to go because we had spent so much time finding someone before that. What was that like from a standpoint of being so having so much brain fog and not being able to think properly? Did you really need to rely on your family, and what was that whole process like? Yeah, I was actually in the hospital at the emergency room, and it was a very hard time because the people in the emergency room told me, oh, you're fine. Um, you just need to drink some water. You're dehydrated, I think. When I went in there, I remember my birthday. I couldn't really form sentences. I was all just out of sorts. And my mom was there with me. She really had to kind of handle everything. And obviously, that's a lot for her, too, just watching your kid not remember where they are when they're in their early 20s. Um, and then having the person that's supposed to help them say, I can't help them anymore. So it was really difficult. So how did you eventually find your next doctor to work with after this, this failure with this current doctor? Yeah, so I had met this girl. Um, she and her mom were at this place that I had gotten these IV vitamin drips from that doctor that was like mistreating me before. Um, and they said, oh, we had the same situation. We had no luck in Massachusetts. We see this doctor in New York and she's the only reason our daughter's getting better. So obviously I was like willing to try anything at that point. Um, we finally got an appointment in September after that summer and it really was a life changer for me. Your doctor who was working with you prior to this, you mentioned that you weren't doing as well, and they were giving you some shots to work on your cognitive symptoms, right? Yeah, so I was receiving these shots, which I wasn't told were experimental. It was like me and a couple other patients that were getting them. And I started to get chest pains before going to get another shot. And I just in the back of my mind, I was like, I need to mention this. So I mentioned to them that I was having the chest pains, and they were really kind of weird about it. They went and talked separately and came back and said, you know, we're not going to give you this shot anymore. A couple other patients are having the same thing happen. So that was pretty weird. It was kind of a red flag for me. And that was really shortly before all that forgetting where I was happened. So I'm not sure if that's what caused the severe cognitive issues and the heart problems from there on out, or if it was just my Lyme getting worse and worse. 
your heart symptoms were then associated with POTS and a nervous system dysfunction. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, so I actually didn't get diagnosed with POTS until not this past February, but the February of last year. And I was just not feeling good. I was really out of breath. I was having super bad heart palpitations, just air hunger. And every time with POTS, you stand up, your blood pressure doesn't regulate and like basically push the blood from your legs up to your brain so that everything's regulated. So your blood pressure is all over the place, your energy is all over the place. And that's um, what was happening to me. So I got diagnosed in February last year, not this past year with that. And that has really affected just overall my energy and kind of prevented me from healing quicker. Was that a diagnosis by your next and final doctor? Yes. And now, can you walk through the process of meeting with this doctor, what that was like and how it was different than your other doctors? Yeah. So um, meeting with this doctor, I was obviously really nervous because I had had such bad luck so far, but I was really hopeful. And um, going into this doctor, I um, had to fill out so much paperwork and it was so nice to walk in somewhere and have a doctor listen to every single symptom, even things I thought were insignificant and small, and just really dive into every single symptom, why I was having every single symptom, and then dive into the treatment plan, which is integrative. So it's supplements, drops, antibiotics, diet, overall just changing your whole lifestyle and focusing on healing. And for me, that was really difficult to hear that I had to take all these pills and change my entire diet and lifestyle. But she really made it more motivating and telling me why each supplement was important for me and why cutting out sugar and this was important for me to heal. It wasn't just here's a list of pills, take them, you're going to get better. Did this doctor run additional tests to identify if you had any other tick diseases in addition to Lyme disease? Yeah. So not only did they run like a big order of tests when I first got there to determine that I had Bartonella, Mycoplasma, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, and Babesia, they continuously ran it over the time that I've been going there to just check because obviously not all the tests are super accurate. So it's important to keep checking as we're killing off things to see if anything else came up. So it took you about a year after you got diagnosed, a year of hell to finally find a good doctor that's going to work with you to treat you and and ultimately bring you to remission, which you're close to now. I'd like to give this doctor a shout out. Yeah, no. So it's um, the practice is Bach Integrative Medicine in Red Hook, New York. And I see Dr. Kenneth Fox, nurse practitioner, Summer Del Signor. Um, and she's honestly like the only reason I'm, I'm getting better. And she really, I believe, saved my life. What types of additional treatment did they start to give you once you went to this doctor's office? So when I went there, I had really bad candida overgrowth from just getting treated badly with wrong antibiotics and too much antibiotics. So we really had to start from making my body okay at the same time as treating all the Lyme and co-infections. So she started with tons of antibiotics. So I was on um, doxycycline, rocephin, um, and a couple other things. And then I was on really high doses of probiotics. Um, all different supplements, drops, and the diet was a huge factor in just helping everything else work better and just helping my body get back on track to heal quicker. 
And I think that's a really important note that if you're on strong antibiotics, you need to do things to promote your gut health and your overall health to combat the damage the antibiotics are doing to kill the good bacteria and the good parts of your immune system. Yeah, definitely. An interesting note that you would describe to us offline is that part of your Rocky Mountain spotted fever diagnosis came with a meat allergy. I didn't really dive into it too much with my doctor, but just this quick way that she described it to me was that the saliva of the Rocky Mountain spotted fever carrying tick makes your blood type mimic a blood type that's out there in the world that is sensitive to red meat and pork. So basically mimics your blood type to seem like that. So your body thinks, oh, I'm sensitive to red meat and pork now. Um, And that's kind of what happened to me around the same time as my POTS diagnosis. So this wasn't all along. It just kind of came up about a year ago. So I really just started getting weird symptoms after eating red meat or pork. Um, I would get dizzy. I would get like sweats. I would feel feverish. Um, I would feel like extremely full even after eating like one bite. So it was really out of ordinary. We have done another podcast with Sarah Sheneman a few weeks ago about the alpha-gal allergy and the Lone Star Tick. So this is a really interesting observation about the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever as well. Over the past two years of being treated with your, your current doctor, had your treatment protocol changed at all to include a new type of antibiotic therapy? Yeah, so I actually was doing really well this past fall. Um, and then, so my doctor started to slowly take me off the antibiotics to see how I would respond. And unfortunately, I still had a lot going on. The Babesia was the biggest thing kind of hanging on for me. So she decided to go ahead and give me a central port place in my chest for IV antibiotics. So now I do IV antibiotics twice a day, every day, sometimes three times a day. And then I also have the supplements and the strict diet. And I also do ozone treatments in New York, which we have to travel for, which is definitely a lot, but it's helped me so much with not only just energy and pain, but it's almost completely healed my POTS. Can you describe what a central port is and what it's like living with that right now? Yeah, so basically it's just a little device that goes under your skin on your chest and it has a tube that goes up into your jugular vein and then it basically dangles down into your heart, which sounds disgusting, but (laughs) that's what it is. So, And then the needle goes in it, it's a little tube and that's where you can administer the um, IV medication and basically your heart's pumping blood throughout your body so fast, your medicine's pumping into your heart, so the medicine goes to your toes within seconds. So it's really kind of intense, but it definitely helps. In addition to your herbal drops, your ozone therapy treatment, you're getting IV glutathione treatments, you're taking strong probiotics, but you're also taking something called Biocytin LSF, which was new to us here at Tick Boot Camp. Can you describe what that is for our listeners? Yeah. So it basically comes in a little pump bottle. It's very like syrupy. It doesn't really taste that good. But um, you put it under your tongue every day, sometimes twice a day, and it helps to break the biofilms of the Lyme and other tick-borne illness bacteria so that the antibiotics can better attack it and kill it. And I think that's one of the big problems with Lyme disease is this biofilm becomes impenetrable and the antibiotics can't break Mm -hmm. the biofilm to kill the bacteria. So this is a way to break down that biofilm so the antibiotics can effectively get through the biofilm to, to kill the bacteria, right? Yes, exactly. Where are you today? How do you feel today? Yeah, so I feel pretty good. I compared to day one and at my worst when I was at the hospital that day that I didn't feel like I knew where I was. I feel so much better. I'm probably 
65% better than I was, which doesn't seem like a lot, but in my mind, it's so much better. And I have checked off a lot of the boxes of my co-infections. Um, now I'm mostly just dealing with the Babesia, get, getting rid of that. Um, and I am dealing with the reoccurring Epstein-Barr virus. So a lot of it is just getting rid of the things that Lyme has caused for me, not as much so as the Lyme itself. Um, and I still have some parasitic factors going on. So there's a lot of little things, but it's manageable and we're tackling it. So I'm definitely hopeful that I'm getting better. So Ryan, can you share with our listeners what inspired you to become a Lyme disease and tick disease awareness activist? Yeah, so I think just knowing how little I knew before getting this and getting so frustrated with a disease that's not only invisible, but that is so, just takes so much of your life from you and is so difficult. I wanted people to understand that were close to me that didn't understand and then people to understand that were going through it, that someone else was there going through the same thing. And it not only helped me to kind of create an Instagram just for myself to just learn and meet other people who are going through similar things or weird symptoms, but I think it's also helped other people for the same reason. Could describe for our listeners the name of your Instagram and what inspired that name? Yeah, so it's Lime into Coconut. I love the beach. I love Hawaii. My family lives in Hawaii. A good chunk of them live in Hawaii, and I just have always loved going there. And so Lime into Coconut is kind of a tropical vibe, and it just kind of goes along with just the easygoingness of that quality that I carry, even through battling this illness, cannot always be so easygoing, but I try to portray that as much as I can. I think it's a beautiful homage to, of course, the challenges that you're facing with neurological Lyme and the difficulties that you've very beautifully portrayed in your Instagram, uh, despite having Lime in your coconut. So I, I really yeah. admire the homage and the way that you're presenting it. The other thing that Matt and I spoke with you about offline that I wanted to share with our listeners is that you are really demonstrating a beautiful balance between a young woman who's taking ownership over her disease and the challenges with having to have a port and also still being a, a young woman who is uh, a person of her time, who dresses well and has a seemingly really nice outlook on life. Can you share with us how you're portraying that in your Instagram? Yeah, so I think it's really important. I mean, it's so easy to go on Instagram and only post the good stuff or only post the positive days that you're having with Lyme. But I think it's also important to not just post the negative and not just say, oh, I'm never going to get better. I'm feeling so crappy today. But to also show people that you do have crappy days, you are hurting, you are feeling badly, and treatments are difficult to get through. And there's so many emotional things about being sick that are really difficult, emotional and physically draining for a person. But it's important to know that you will get better. There's a light at the end of the tunnel that you are getting through your worst days. And it's important to share that with people so that, you know, it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to be upset but it's also good to have a positive light at the end of that. Ryan, you are such an inspiration to all of us Limeys, and we knew as soon as we found your Instagram profile, we had to get you onto our podcast. So just thank you for sharing your journey with everybody on Instagram and portraying that positive image for us. Oh, thank you for having me. So I'm going to ask you one last question, Ryan, before you go. Knowing now what you know, if you woke up tomorrow morning with a tick biting you on your leg, what would you do? First, I would probably freak out. <laughs> and then 
definitely remove it in the proper way. I would go immediately to the doctor to make sure they tested and I was on all the right medicine. But I know there are so many good resources that you guys share now too about sending a picture of your tick, sending the tick off to get tested. I think that's amazing because even if you don't have a Lyme literate doctor, you can say, hey, I got my tick tested and it carried A, B, and C. I want to make sure that I'm put on medicine because of that. So I think that's really important for people to know. I don't think a lot of people know about it. So I think that's awesome that you guys are sharing that. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with guest Ryan McIntyre. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Ryan McIntyre and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Lyme underscore INDA underscore coconut. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast interview with Ryan McIntyre, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes. This is a new effort on our part, and we could really use your help when it comes to creating a show that you would like to listen to. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.